You're listening to Redemption City Church. For more information, check us out at redemptioncitychurch.com. Yeah, so we've been working through the book of Acts. This, uh, this series, A Little Bit of Wildfire is Better Than No Fire. Um, yeah, I want to I say it, it has been a, a privilege over the years to, to work with Terry in a number of different contexts. And uh, it's probably the one, uh, the one thing that I've, I've known him say for, for years and years and years, a little bit of wildfire is better than no fire, right? <laughs> And so uh, it is a privilege just to lean into, lean into the book of Acts. So I wonder, I wonder if you can open to Acts chapter 3, and uh, we're just looking at this healing at the gate this morning, um, and obviously trusting that God will, uh, will meet us. <clears throat> so it says this in verse 1, it says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. It says, now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gates called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave, him, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And so there's this, just this incredible counter on the backdrop of, of Acts 1, of Acts 2. You have this cameo, Acts chapter 3, just the advancing of the church. And I know, uh, I know Terry has said many times, some, you know, in our day and age, we can't say silver and gold I do not have. But in some senses, we also can't say in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And I think, the, I think the ongoing challenge for us, certainly as Redemption City Church, is we trust in God for, for city impact, really. Um, I know personally my, my cry has been, God, if you're going to do what you're going to say, what you've said you're going to do, then it's got to be more than natural, because certainly within the natural, it's impossible. Within, within the natural, within our own capabilities, it's impossible. And so what you see through, through the book of Acts is you do, you see this supernatural church, this naturally supernatural church, not weird, um, you know, sometimes the supernatural can get a little weird, not weird, but naturally supernatural. And, uh, and I think the reality for us is that the one thing that you cannot justify out of the word is, is this powerless church, you know, the form without the power, you know. Paul warns Timothy, says, watch out. You know, it says, in the latter days, you will have the form without the power. In, in reality, what we're trusting for is the form and the power. In many ways, what we're trusting for is the power because the power will shape the form. 
the church changes when, when the life and power of God is manifest. Let me tell you, if, if 100 people get saved this week through you and I, it will change the face of this church overnight, right? The form of this church will change. If we start to see signs and wonders breaking out, the form of this church will change. And so what we're looking for is, is the life of God to be manifest, and out of that life, to see the, the form that matches, in a sense, that life, the structures that matches that life. And so the phrase I want to pick up on this morning is Peter, Peter's bold assertion, right? Peter makes a very bold assertion. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. What I have. In other words, for Peter, it wasn't a debate at that point. It wasn't a wrestle, right? It wasn't a question. He already had it. Before that encounter, he already had it. He already, in a sense, possessed it. And so it was a matter of giving what he had already obtained or already was walking in, right? And so the question for me is, well, what did he have? What did he have that he gave, in a sense? And so there's a number of, I think there's a number of answers to that question, and I want to kind of highlight one this morning. I think he had faith, right? And faith in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 11, it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, or the title deeds, the certainty of the things hoped for. He had faith. He had already, in a sense, wrestled through to a place of victory around this thing of healing. In other words, he wasn't surprised in the moment to say, gee, do I believe or not? It wasn't in the moment like, man, I'm, I'm still struggling. You know, I'm still fighting the fight of faith. At that point, the fight was already fought. The battle had already been won. He was settled in his faith, right? What I have, I give to you. He already had it. At that point, there wasn't a doubt. It wasn't a wrestle. It was like, I got this. Take it. So that's one thing I think he had. What else did he have? Well, let me tell you, he had, he had the memory, the very recent memory of the transaction of the cross. This was, this was present memory for them. This was recent memory. The stumbling block of the cross. This, 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 this crazy transaction. Let me tell you, it's easy for us to look back. We... we we sometimes we're victims of Sunday school theology. What do I mean by that? You know, we, we get told stories so many times that they just become normal to us. And we forget how crazy they actually are. That the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would be nailed to a cross. Must have been absolutely bewildering to them. They were clueless right up until the the day of the crucifixion. They had no idea. I was reading the account of the Last Supper again. They're still bickering at the Last Supper about who's going to be the greatest. At the end, of, you know, you look at the paintings, you know what I mean, and the paintings of the Last Supper look so serene and gracious. They were bickering, and actually, the last words is Jesus is totally frustrated. He leaves the Last Supper frustrated with his disciples, knowing he's going to the cross to die. Right? I mean, so they were absolutely clueless. And so one of the questions they ask at Pentecost, 
the, you know, there's this massive outbreak, and everyone's like, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? They're talking about the cross. They're talking about Pentecost. They're talking about all these things. And in reality, it's like they, they have this recent memory of the transaction of the cross, that Jesus became sin. He who had no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Peter, maybe more than anybody else, maybe more than anybody else, because on the, on the, at the Last Supper, it was Peter that Jesus said, you think you're going to stand up for me? Well, let me tell you, before the cock crows, before 24 hours, before the night is over, you will deny me three times. And Peter's the one that stands up and says, get up in the name of Jesus, be healed. Totally broken in his own self-assurance, right? Standing only in what is the, the source of the cross. The cross, the source of life, right? So they, he had faith, he had the cross. And he, these are not the points that I want to kind of jump into. <laughs> he, had, he had Pentecost. Pentecost was a, re a recent encounter, right? The breaking out of the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the anointing, the divine uh, empowering, the divine enabling to do what God called him to do. The, cross, the, the Pentecost was the, the, this recent transaction, right? Breaking out. Not just the presence of the Holy Spirit to be saved, but the empowering of the Holy Spirit to do what God's called you to do. Um, it's two, always these two distinct encounters, right? John 21, Jesus breathes on his disciples and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. But then he says, wait into, in Jerusalem until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, until you receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit, accompanied by what? Prophecy. Tongues accompanied by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So he had that, three things so far. What else did he have? Well, he had the Word. He had the Word, right? And that's where, that's where I want to spend some time this morning. What was the word that they were proclaiming? Let me tell you, the city was on fire with this message. The Messiah, we crucified. You know, in Acts 2, at Peter proclaiming after Pentecost, he says this. He says, seeing what was ahead in verse 31, it says, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, right? And we are all witnesses of the fact of his resurrection. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. It's the proclamation of the Christ, right? It's the proclamation of the coming King. It's the proclamation of the kingdom. And it's intriguing for me that... Um, that the word they're proclaiming is really, you know, Matthew 24 says, let the gospel of the kingdom be proclaimed to all nations and then the end will come. Not the gospel of self-help and healing or the gospel of feeling good about yourself or the gospel of identity, you know. If you're wrestling with your identity, this will help you feel better. It's not that, it's the gospel of the kingdom. And it's interesting because the kingdom immediately makes a demand, right? When 
when, uh, when the gospel is a proclamation of kingdom, kingdom makes a demand on us. Well, how are you going to respond to another king? You, in other words, you're used to being king of yourself. How are you going to respond to another king? And it's intriguing for me, you know, when I, I got saved at the age of 13, and uh, what was interesting is there was a kid at school that witnessed to me over three or four months, and, uh, and he really bugged me, to be honest, <laughs> kind of bugged me into getting saved. Um, but, uh, but he kept on saying this thing, because I was going to an Episcopalian church at the time, totally, totally unregenerate, right? Unsaved, but going to church regularly and all that kind of stuff. And he kept proclaiming um, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. He said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And if you believe in your heart, he's alive. God raised him from the dead, right? You will be saved. And, and it was that word that he kept on saying to me. He'd say to me, he'd say this to me. He says, Andrew, you're not a Christian until you confess Jesus is Lord of your life doesn't matter if you go to church. And he'd say that to me again and again and again and again. And let me tell you, it was that word that smashed my prideful self-sufficiency, right? My prideful self-righteousness. Of course I'm a Christian. I go to church. In fact, sometimes I go to church two or three times on a Sunday. At the time I was singing in the choir and whatever. I was an altar boy, if you can imagine that. Um, <laughs> 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 and so it's the word, right? It's the substance of the word that ultimately um, has an impact, right? And it's that that I want to dig into this morning. And so in John, in John 12, verse 44, it says, when, Then Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, says, I do not judge him. For I did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word I spoke will condemn him at the, at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. So it's really saying it's the word that will hold people to account. Not, let me say this, not our life and lifestyle. God's not going to say, didn't you see Andrew and see how amazing he was? And you suck, therefore you're going to hell. You know what I mean? It wasn't that. It wasn't that, it was, it's the standard of the word. And what Jesus is saying there is, is quite amazing because what he's saying, he's saying, I'm not just telling you anything, I'm telling you just what the Father told me. And what the Father speaks is life to those who will receive it. And if you don't receive what he's saying, then it's that very word in a sense that will hold you to account. It's interesting that there's something of a, a play in, in the Greek words there. When Jesus says, I tell you, I tell you, I say exactly what the Father says, it's two different words for say. There, The one word, when it speaks of the Father saying, is the word logos, which is the word, which, is talk, which really is about like a reasoned discourse, like a structured argument. You know? 
She says, the Father says, logos, structured argument. And then Jesus says, I say, and the word there is laleo, which, which really means like to babble, just to speak without even thinking. And so it's amazing that, that Jesus is saying, the Father saying, logos, lay it out for me in a reasoned way, but I'm just, I'm just an echo. I'm just telling you exactly what the Father said. I'm just, I'm just an echo chamber. I'm just hearing and repeating, hearing and repeating, hearing and repeating. And what's, what you start to realize is that what Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying, believe the words because it's my Father that's speaking it. It's not just me telling you, it's my Father speaking it. And so it comes with the authority of the Father. And so it's interesting because there's an expectation that goes with it. When, when John's disciples come to Jesus and they say, well, are you the one? Obviously, John the Baptist got confused as to whether Jesus was the Messiah or not. What does he say? He says, take a look around you. Report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The, deaf are, the dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. What is he saying? It's interesting because he's saying there's two things. There's really, there's two elements that you are to believe. You know, you're to believe the word, but you're also to believe the ratification of the Father through signs and wonders, right? Both end. Believe the word, but believe the signs that, that ratify the word. And so Paul, when he says, I, I preach the gospel, Romans 16, when he says, I preach the gospel all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum, he says this, I preach the gospel through the power of signs and wonders. God always designed the word and the power of God to go together. Why? Because the word carries in it, in a sense, the authority of the Father behind it. And the Father is the one that says, this is my word. Let me show you. I'll demonstrate it to you. And so in Hebrews, it, it says this. It says, um, you know, this salvation, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, it says, this salvation which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Let me tell you, when we proclaim the word, when we speak the word, there's an anticipation that the Father is going to ratify the word through signs and wonders. In Acts chapter 14, verse 3, it says, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, right? Who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. So I think the, the, the challenge for us, as I've been kind of digging through this, this word for myself, is you start to realize that the Father has no obligation the Father is under no obligation to ratify our word. He's under no obligation to ratify what I say. No obligation to ratify what I believe. But he himself, in a sense, puts himself under a yoke, if you want to put it, or, or ties himself to this thing, is that when my word is preached, when, when what I'm saying is preached, what the Father says is preached, you will see what? The confirmation of signs and wonders. There is a supernatural ratification of the word that the Father is speaking. And so he has no obligation to uphold us and what we say. 
And it's interesting that even Jesus operated under the same, in a sense, boundaries, right? He says, I can do nothing other than what I see the Father doing. If the Father hasn't done it, I can't do it. If the Father hasn't said it, I don't want to say it. I want to say just what the Father's saying. I want to do just what the Father's doing. And so I wonder, in wrestling through this, I wonder sometimes whether, whether something of the absence of signs and wonders, why we don't see more of it. And, and, and let me just say this. I mean, I think we've seen some phenomenal signs and wonders in our midst. Just amazing, amazing grace actually extended to us. But I wonder why, why we don't see more. And sometimes I wonder if it's because we've drifted from, from the central kind of tenant of what the Father is actually saying. And we've turned the gospel into something less than the, the full proclamation of what he intends. Let's skip over some notes. <laughs> What is, what is the Father saying? You know, what is the Father saying? It's Paul, when he writes to Timothy in chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2, he says, here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that him we might become the righteousness of God. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, the section that we started, Peter goes on to say, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It, it, there's this... You know, the Father's purpose is expressed in the death, yes, of Jesus, in the cross, yes, in the resurrection, absolutely, in the exaltation, right, in the ascension, seated at the right hand of God, yes, absolutely. All of those things, in the return of Christ, He is coming back to rule and reign here on earth. It's the coming kingdom, right? Uh, so often the gospel proclamation was as simple, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. The rule and reign of Jesus is here. Repent. And it's so amazing because the Father's will, you know, expressed in Psalm 2, and he says, he says, you know, he says over Jesus, he says, you will rule over the nations with an iron scepter. That's the purpose of the Father. The purpose of the Father is fulfilled in Christ coming back and ruling over the nations, right? The expressed intent of the Father, even as we were singing this morning, we started to, to sing that song, All Hail King Jesus, right? There's always something of, of life expressed in that, in that phrase. Why? Because we're talking about a coming king. And it's, it's the kingdom, the, the, you know, Paul says it's the kingdom. He says when demons are driven out by the finger of God, you know the kingdom is, is in your midst. When the, th when the kingdom is present, when God is breaking out with kingdom, we start to see the signs and wonders ratifying that. And so my, my, my whole premise this morning is that as we declare the word, as we give expression, as we proclaim 
the word of the Father, as we proclaim that word of life, actually what starts to rise in us is an anticipation and expectation. Not that, not that God is going to somehow do amazing things in me, but more about God's going to act to ratify his own word. He's going to act to ratify his own plans and his purposes. He's going to act to ratify this reality that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. That he's going to act to ratify the coming kingdom. And the more we align ourselves with his word, the more we are bold in the proclamation of his word, the more we're going to see God acting to ratify his word. The more we will see signs and wonders break out. The more we will see the supernatural just in our day-to-day lives. The supernatural, I don't believe God intends for the supernatural to be an occasional occurrence. It really is, part, is due to be part of our day-to-day life, an anticipation and expectation of the supernatural. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lorna, are you right to come play some keys? Thanks. Uh, I think I've told this story before. You know, Sandy and I had the privilege of going to the Billy Graham School of Evangelism a number of years ago. And... Uh, it was amazing because they showed us the pattern of his preaching and they showed us how many times in his sermon he would say this, the Bible says. And at, at the end of the four days school of evangelism or I think it was four days, we got to go to a, um, a crusade of his Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego. And it was absolutely amazing because Billy Graham was old at the time they literally wheeled him out on a wheelchair they had rails on the pulpit and they helped him to stand up and he stood square footed holding onto these rails forgive the, the the description but I'm trying to make a point here frail old man and he just stood square footed just spoke and it was amazing because now we'd been shown his pattern it was amazing how many times he would say, the Bible says. And, you know, you, you're looking at this and you go, and you're looking around and you go, there's a bunch of young people here. I don't know if they're going to connect with this. And when he said, if you want to give your life to the Lord, come forward. I mean, I don't know if it was a thousand or two thousand, but I'm telling you now, the field was packed. People just came streaming out of this thing. I was just was so reminded of that as Andrew said about this thing of us going back to the word, declaring the word. So we've been hammering this thing with our interns on a Wednesday and a Friday. And it's so funny to hear them just even in casual conversation start a sentence with the Bible says. We've been hammering them on getting back to the Bible. What a key word for us this morning. That we go back to the word of God. That's what God is going to ratify. Not what we think, say, our thoughts, our opinions. The word of God. Let's stand together as Andrew prays for us. Just open our open our hearts.
Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are present right here, right now. Lord, that this is the word that you're proclaiming over us. That you take frail, broken human beings. That through the cross, you take our sin. You take our brokenness. You take our frailties. You take our sin. You take our sickness and our disease. You transform us through the power of the Holy Spirit. You transform us into your righteousness. You transform us into men and women worthy to become the eternal companion of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, you are our coming King. That you will rule and reign across the nations that we will reign with you. Father, it makes nonsense of us continuing in our brokenness, Lord. It makes it ridiculous for us to continue in our sin. Lord, our sin, though pleasurable in a moment, Lord, is like filthy rags. It's like eating pig's food instead of feasting at the table that you've prepared for us. And so, Lord, this morning, we want to let go of the past. We want to let go of the old. We want to give the old to you. And Jesus, thank you that you stand arms open wide and you willingly receive into yourself our sin, our brokenness, our despair, our darkness, Lord. our depression, Lord Jesus, the wounds, Lord Jesus, of rejection, Lord God, the gray kind of blanket, Lord Jesus, of neglect, Lord. Lord, our twisted pride, Lord, our frail self-sufficiency, Lord, you take it all upon yourself to die with you on the cross and that right now, Lord, you release your resurrection life. You release your resurrection life, Lord. And even now, Lord God, we ask that you would re release your resurrection life in us and through us, Lord God. Thank you, mighty 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 God. I just want to ask you if you feel the Holy Spirit just touching you, just stirring you right where you are. Why don't you just raise your hand? I just want to, just want to affirm what the Holy Spirit is doing this morning. Lord, you see hands raised this morning. Just ask that even now you would come and touch. Even now you would come and do a deep work, Lord. Lord, even now you would take 
by the right hand and lift us, Lord. Raise us. Raise us, Lord God. Lift us up above situation and circumstance, Lord. 